Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecast, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for joining us. Would you like to kill 99% of airborne COVID-19 in 10 minutes? Of course you would. Check out core.green. Well, today we've got an excellent show. You know, one of the things that can create some real value to your community uh, and to your real estate investing is uh, zoning and entitlement and in adaptive reuse and changing use on properties from, and think of all the examples out there today. Maybe there's some vacant office that can be uh, repurposed into residential. Maybe there's retail that can be repurposed into distribution. Uh, or maybe there's just a lot of opportunities for, for housing or affordable housing. What you know about zoning and what you don't know can be very important. Well, we have an expert for you here today. It's Patrick Fox. He's CEO of Consensus Strategies, and he's uh, joining us from Boston. Patrick, thanks for being with us this morning. Thank you, Michael. Well, Patrick, one of the things I want to start out with here is, you know, zoning's always, entitlement can always be difficult, especially if you're not doing it the right way. But when you look at the success of zoning uh, pre-COVID, and then you look at the uh, success of zoning kind of during COVID and kind of now, and, if, and depending on when you're listening to this, we're recording this in February of 2021. Uh, how is it now? What are the trends there? Well, it's entirely changed. Um, and uh, we've been extraordinarily busy since this started working with clients who um, uh, were advising to take your toughest projects in your pipeline. The thing that you put to the back of the list because you thought it was going to be too tough and move it back to the front because uh, the recovery, uh, the economy, jobs, um, and tax revenue generation for these communities is going to be vital as we move forward through this. Also, NIMBY opposition. Uh, we've always had across the United States a really um, opponent-driven planning system. They're the ones who show up. You know, we can do a survey in a community and have 85% support and the clients laugh because in the room is 200 angry people because they're the people who live close and are going to be impacted. We've been struggling for decades with how do we broaden participation in the system so that it's not opponent driven. Well, we just did it. It's virtual meetings. Not only does it level the playing field so that uh, it's not just opponents in the room. Supporters and people with open minds are much more likely to attend from the comfort of their living rooms. But the ability of opponents to take over and dominate a meeting for a small group of, of passionate people to boo, sneer, hold up signs, uh, to yell things out in the middle of a hearing has all been negated by virtual meetings where everybody gets their three minutes or five minutes, or whatever they're allocated, and that's it. You're done, we go to the next person. Everybody gets input, much broader input, and it's making it easier for boards to make um, rational, less political decisions. So- You know, you know and that, that makes sense that you know, these municipalities would be uh, looking for some, um, some development, maybe some more uh, density to create jobs and, and tax revenues. Um, but how is it, is it going? Are they, are a lot of these municipalities backed up? 
is it kind of slow to, to, to kind of move through the, the process now? Or is this kind of more online virtual process really just making things smoother? And if it is, will that continue? I have active projects right now in about 12 states. And I would say in all of them, it's moving right along. Um, that uh, uh, going virtual hasn't really slowed them down. And in most states, they're not putting things aside because they're virtual meetings. Even though there are some inherent problems with access to virtual meetings, people that don't have that technology, people who aren't sophisticated enough to be able to uh, uh, get on a Zoom meeting. Um, but uh, we don't see it slowing anybody down. In fact, it's making it easier in, in many places. It is certainly advantage for developers. Uh, using the system. And Patrick, are you seeing any trends now on projects that uh, are getting approved that may not have gotten approved uh, before COVID? I mean, naturally, I hear you saying that, you know, there there's maybe more approval, maybe it's a better process for developers. But is there any type of use uh, that is getting kind of that municipalities are favoring in some cases? Um. What we're seeing cannabis projects in a lot of states, uh, you know, mixed use is hot everywhere. Although um, there is an issue with developers who traditionally do office or retail, who suddenly decide they're mixed use developers who don't understand the ramifications of adding residential. Uh, you know, adding they just think I'm adding 50 apartments to the kind of project I usually do, but that completely changes changes the project's impacts and um, will more than anything else bring out opponents. And they're just not prepared to deal with that. Uh, so we're running into that a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of uh, developers and people involved in projects that are being rezoned are surprised uh, about the opponents. You know, maybe the, the zoning um, department says, yeah, this should, should go fine. And, and, and you think it's going to go fine. It doesn't. So what are some tips to kind of execute a strategy that could build and demonstrate support for your project? Well, first of all, the traditional outreach methods um, are largely out the window. You know, every developer starts with an inherent handicap. You're not from there and you're a developer, right? <laughs> uh, and so regardless of the company, regardless of you being one of the 50 most ethical companies on the planet or whatever other designation you guys have, you're still someone who's come to our community from the outside who wants to profit here. And so you're seen uh, very uh, skeptically and cautiously. Um, now, the way to overcome that is we traditionally put you in the room or, or in the, the, the kitchen with these neighbors and let them get to know you. Make it not about Acme Company's project, but about Joe's project. And Acme can't make promises, but Joe can, can look you in the eye and say, I'm going to make sure this works for you. We're going to listen to your concerns. And I promise we're going to do it right and follow through on our promises. Well, we can't put Joe the developer in the kitchen anymore. So uh, it's more about social media outreach, uh, telephone town halls, Zoom meetings, and finding local advocates, um, uh, people whose um, uh, familiarity in the community we can leverage, other people that that are trust uh, that are trusted who can say. I know them, I've worked with them, and they're going to be okay. Every project's different, but we've got to find other ways to get in there and uh, lower the temperature and, and raise their confidence level 
that we're going to do it right. You can't get Joe, the developer, in the opponent's living rooms, but you can get them virtually. You can uh, get them on Zoom. What are some tips uh, for people going through a zoning process uh, related to using tools like Zoom, either in meeting uh, neighborhood opponents or, or in the actual process? So we see lots of developers who have been doing this for decades who are used to just winging it. I can walk into these meetings, this is nothing, I know my project and I'm an expert at this. Well, you're not an expert at Zoom meetings <laughs> and it's a different animal. Yeah. So um, uh, using the technology, um, making sure the sound works, uh, making sure that, that you figured out how to do the video so that you're not a silhouette like you're in the witness protection program because there's a bright window behind you. Mm -hmm. um, not using virtual backgrounds so that every time you move, your head melts into the background and it's obvious that you're using some kind of fake, strange background. Um, Should I use a cat filter? <laughs> the cat filter is not a good idea. I right? am Make not sure. a cat. If you haven't seen that, you've got to go uh, Google this on one of your social media. I'm not a cat. It is so funny. Make sure that your uh, seven-year-old wasn't using your computer right before you log on. Um, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things to consider, and and, and when you do this the, these hearings, uh, it's a it's an interview, and they're looking to see how professional you are, what kind of expert you are, how you come across, and uh, when you try to run a video on Zoom to show this cool video you've made of your project, and it's choppy and you can't make the sound work, and you're bumbling for five minutes trying to figure out how to do that, that does not inspire confidence. Um, when your expert comes on, and I, I just had this in a project where I have an expert from a major university um, who uh, we read off his credentials and they're very impressive, but he's got giant old school headphones on, a fake virtual background full of books that every time he moves, his hair melts into the background. Um, his eyes are darting back and forth and he keeps saying, am I on? Can you hear me? I don't know. Can you? Uh, and he's looking all over the place. And this is our expert who is not inspiring confidence. So working with those people, uh, doing a rehearsal, making sure that everybody understands it, understanding the process for the meeting. Who's going to speak first? Um, are they taking questions as they go or are they held to the end? Are you making a closing statement? Going and looking at, at, at one of these meetings that has happened previously and seeing how they did it. And the big one, the open mic. You know, uh, some of us are old enough to remember when Ronald Reagan had an open mic and he said, uh, the bombing starts in five minutes, I've outlawed Russia. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that didn't go over well. No. Uh, w we've had tons of hearings where both elected and appointed officials and development teams don't know when their camera's off or, uh, or, or when the microphone is off. And you should always assume it is on. If you've logged in until you've logged off, checked it twice, shut your computer down, don't say anything. We've got examples where they say, we're going to take a five-minute break and come back, and you hear, Mildred, did you hear what a boatload of garbage this is? <laughs> That's not good for the development team. Um, you know, um, so it, 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 I, some some of this comes down to you've got a, a a development team full of experts with decades of experience, and I'm in a position where I'm I'm apologizing, saying, 
please don't think I'm insulting your intelligence because I'm going to tell you some very basic things now. Right. You know, don't talk until you know the microphone's off. Don't, you, know, you got a camera on. Uh, everybody go look at uh, what happened to Jeffrey Tubin one last time. Um, mm -hmm. You have to, uh, uh, can't take anything for granted. Right. Well, those are good tips. Um, you know, and also good tips for just doing business uh, on on Zoom and things. We just won a, a large uh, marketing assignment for a large uh, listing. And uh, one of the remarks we got back was that, you know, we were in a, a, a Zoom made room and they could see the whole team. You know, we were in suits um, and it was very professional. We showed them our present. Everything was perfect online. And and uh, and then the other team uh, teams they interviewed were all their houses and you know, weird backgrounds and, and just seemed unprofessional. So uh, that's a, a great tip. Now, one of the things that um, um, can happen with the opposition is like all of us at times, we don't know what we don't know, right? And the opposition comes up with just kind of crazy statements. Um, first of all, tell us a, a funny one you've heard. And then tell us, well, how do, how do we deal with these crazy statements? What should we be armed with? Yeah, uh, you know, crazy things that happen. Uh, uh, we had a, a project in a uh, uh, Kansas cornfield where we're putting in wind turbines, uh, 100 wind turbines. And uh, somebody comes to the hearing and says, uh, you're going to have to build 100 somewhere else on the planet pointing in the other direction, or the earth is going to spin off its axis, uh, you're going to screw up the rotation of the earth. Or uh, a solar farm where uh, a woman gets up and says, how many of these pe of these things do you people think you can build before you've sucked all the energy out of the sun? <laughs> um, uh, you know, so uh, crazy examples, but it, it happens all the time. And, and, and um, people need to understand that you can't be dismissive. You can't laugh at them that typically the local board knows and understands who these people are because they've done it at other hearings, not just yours. Um, and uh, you need to be respectful and try to address their concerns. Now, uh, the two examples I just gave are so crazy that uh, I think you can just let them go and move on. But um, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's important to be uh, respectful and not dismissive. Okay. And I guess the other thing you want to have is is some facts, and and you'd mentioned uh, marijuana dispensaries and other uh, related uh, zoning matters uh, kind of get fought. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, and and what kind of facts uh, examples might a developer want to have at hand. So first of all, with the um, the, the retail apocalypse that's going on, uh, you know, with with all of those um, uh, abandoned storefronts. In difficulties with economic development, uh, tax revenue issues that municipalities are having, everything's on the table. So again, the best time to take your biggest, most ambitious, boldest project and let's go and, and do it, talking about economic development and jobs. Things like cannabis, gambling, um, other things that, that, um, that some states didn't want to look at, they're looking at now. Uh, cannabis is, is sweeping the country. Um, and uh, oftentimes people are, uh, some of these developers are looking at the communities and saying, hey, this town voted 75% to legalize cannabis. So it'll be easy. Uh, right? so it's going to be easy. They love cannabis here. Yeah. But, you know, much like I, I support 
nuclear power, but I don't want to live next to one. Uh, you know, the, the, the developers will show me we're, we're plopping this right into this retail neighborhood. So, so you think you're going to put in an affluent town, you're going to put that retail cannabis establishment in, in a neighborhood in an affluent town. They voted 75% for it. Doesn't mean they want it in their neighborhood or their community, right? Um, you know, we have um, upper class communities uh, who say, we wish we had another grocery store in your town. We don't want people from outside of town coming here. Right. So, you know, just because people are generally for something doesn't mean they want it there. Housing is another great example, back to the, you know, the mixed use problem. Um, residential uses are, are more uh, uh, intensive uh, municipal resources. Cops, firefighters, teachers, big impacts on the schools. Uh, they tend to be a financial loser for a community. Um, so uh, when you when you add residential, you got to take that into effect. Yeah, that makes sense. And and you mentioned that you know opponents are going to think things that um, are bad about the project. Like they're going to think that. If you put a dispensary, since we're using that as an example, in my neighborhood, that there's going to be a lot of crime and, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of problems from it. But uh, sometimes the facts are really different, right? They are. And we're dealing with that in Massachusetts right now where um, uh, they opened one in the, in the city, uh, right outside the city of Boston. And there were lines down the street, traffic jams every day. Um, and so now every time they go to open one, everybody remembers what happened in, in Brookline. Um, but in reality, Boston is opening 52 of them. And so um, as the city keep the, when they do these hearings for the city, someone from uh, city hall will come and say, this isn't about, do you want one? This is about where are they going to go? Because you're, you know, they're going to be in every neighborhood, 52 of them in the city. So th it, it ends up that they are neighborhood stores. And uh, and people need to be sort of re-educated that, uh, um, you know, that, that first one outside of Boston was likened to imagine there was only one liquor store in all of New England. Yeah. Uh, there would be some lines. Yeah, <laughs> right. I guess if you got the, the first only store, there's going to be lines. Um, one of the um, – and, and if, if you're a show listener, um, you know, we have quality guests uh, like Patrick and – you want to check out his uh, website. It's consensus-strategies.com. Uh, There's some great uh, blogs in there and examples uh, of projects. And one of the things I saw there was uh, cave cave people, I guess, C-A-V-E, tell the audience about cave people. Citizens against virtually everything. <laughs> yeah. uh, and they're, they're in every community. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, we, we start every project with a mutual gains approach. How can we allay your fears? How can we make sure that we're designing and moving forward with this project in a way that's going to benefit, enhance the community and work for you? Um, once you've gone through that process, um, in the end, there are still cave people who are just going to be against change. We've had projects where the site is literally a dump and people say, I can live with the dump. There's only six or seven trucks a day. It's not that bad. Uh, it, it, we're gonna we're gonna spend twelve million dollars redesigning and improving the site, and no doubt improving their real estate values. But they still oppose the change. And so, uh, 
there is a certain segment of the population where it's an irrational um, opposition to change. And you still have to be able to overcome that too. And that's often about just making sure you can generate support and demonstrate it to local officials so that that opposition, those cave people, are not the only ones they're hearing from. Yeah, be ready for it. And, uh, you know, I've been involved in commercial brokerage for 35 years, and we've sold a lot of projects that have been uh, redeveloped. And one of the things that we've learned over the years as to if a buyer is asking for rezoning contingencies and timeframes is to find out who their team is, uh, not only their success in other projects, but who's going to handle this actual process. And at times we've, we've, when they found, when we found out who was going to handle it, uh, we've said, no, we'll only give you the contract. If you use this lawyer and this architect and this zoning, you know, um, person. So I think uh, if you're a, a seller or a broker or attorney out there and you've got a client uh, considering taking a, putting a property under contract and giving someone control, really look carefully at who's handling it. Like, for example, if, if I was buying your property and you asked me that and I said, yeah, I'm going to handle it myself. I'm going to get in front of the neighborhoods. Uh, you would not want to put it under contract with me because I would be terrible at it. I do not have the patience. I was at one where a lady came up and said uh, that if I built one house on this street, that her yet to be unborn child, she wasn't pregnant, but one day she was going to have a child. And if I built that house, that child would die uh, some for some reason on pulling out on the street. And it's like, and you kind of look like, what? Wait a minute. So it takes a lot of patience. It's really important who the team is in these projects, isn't it, Patrick? Yes. And, and it, it's funny because that's happened so many times over the past 25 years that in my office, uh, we'll say it's another one of those how many children have to die projects <laughs> because you, you get these impassioned residents who say, with the traffic increase, uh, there are kids in the neighborhood and how many kids have to die before you people stop with the development? Yeah. And that's you know another... Uh, another thing you have to deal with. Patrick, what would you leave our audience with to think about um, for zoning and entitlements right now? Here we are at you know February of 21. Hopefully the vaccine's coming out. You have all these virtual zoning meetings going on. You have municipalities looking for revenues. What would you leave as a closing tip for everyone? For anyone looking to develop projects uh, over the next few years, right now is the best time we've seen in decades to move forward in terms of dealing with community opposition, uh, being able to make arguments that municipalities uh, will find um, uh, very persuading uh, because they need it. And so move your biggest projects right to the front and let's go now, go big, go bold. Excellent, I like it. And before you go, one quick one, uh, remind me of the story uh, where you had an opposing person get up and talk about uh, dogs uh coming to the neighborhood or was it a steakhouse what was it was it? A, yeah, the, the steakhouse uh, uh yeah a developer that was putting in a steakhouse and uh gentleman comes to the hearing and says you can't do this i oppose it if you do this the dogs in the neighborhood are going to go crazy <laughs> uh, so <laughs> and yeah. go crazy all right patrick thanks for joining us sir thank you
All right. And thanks for joining us around the country. Let us know what you think and please connect with us on your social media, favorite social media. And hey, we do appreciate you sharing the show um, with uh, your your team and with people that you do business with and uh, on your social media. So until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. If you appreciate the show, think about the opportunity to do business or refer business to our sponsors. Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies. For incredible commercial agent training, visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Core.green. Use ION technology to create a safer environment for your real estate. Visit core.green. For more commercial real estate intel, forecasts, and strategies, visit CREshow.com.